0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Deadhead Cannabis Show. I'm Larry Mishkin of Michigan Law in Chicago. I'm joined today by my co-host, Rob Hunt of Lene Holdings out in lovely California. And we have a wonderful, wonderful show to you for you today. Uh, our music focus is going to be on the other Barton Hall show, since we've already talked about the first Barton Hall show. And this other one is dated May 16th, 1981. And before we do anything else, let's dive in and get a taste of it. Dan, what do you got for us? Okay, Rob, so let's get to the bottom of this right away. I know why you picked that tune to start the show off. You and Bleetstein got on the phone and said, let's pit Michigan for having that stupid opinion on it a few weeks ago. Am I right? (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's so funny, but no, you're not. I, I picked it because I don't think there's anything else from an 81 show that really typifies Garcia's style of playing like half half a beat faster than he did on a lot of other songs. Like whenever I think of 81 shows, I always think that they're just a little bit quicker. I think it start, started like when Brent joined in 79, and the next couple of years where things that used to be slowed down were just now clipping along, right? And that brown-eyed, it's so clean, note-for-note note clean of Garcia picking. That uh, I figured I'd just start off with that one, but I totally forgot about the bleats tune. <laughs> I totally forgot your opinion of Brown-Eyed. Uh, yeah,
0: I- yeah, well, I'm, I'm, gonna re- I'm just going to reframe that right now for the whole world, okay? Let me go back and say that I've always loved Brown-Eyed Woman. It's a great tune. I've always enjoyed hearing it, and I think what I was trying to say is I'm not sure that I ever was at a show where I came out at the end of the night and said, wow, that Brown-Eyed Woman was the... Song of the Night, but it was always a very nice compliment to whatever they were playing, and I did enjoy hearing it. So let's just say it that way and forget the other one never happened. All right, we'll put it behind <laughs> us. But uh, yeah, you bleached me, you bleached and whoever yeah. was listening that day. But I will say that
1: you know we picked the show today because obviously you know we're, we're airing this on May sixteenth, and yeah, uh, you know, I love eighty one. I think 81's an overlooked year. I think it doesn't get nearly as much credit as it should at this point. Brent's you know pretty well settled into the band. Um, you know, I think that uh, when you think Barton Hall, everyone always thinks of just one show. I mean, it's 5877, sucks the oxygen out of the room for everything. I don't think people even realize they played Cornell again. They played Cornell a few times. But, uh, but if you actually look at this 81 show, it's solid top to bottom. It's just, a, it's, you know, I think it was even put out as a, um, as a disc as well. So, you know, it, it just doesn't get the credit. And, uh, and I don't understand why it's not like it's one of the things that was never traded as a tape where everyone's like, Oh yeah, but have you ever heard the 81 Barton Hall? And, uh, so I wanted to give it a little bit of uh, love today.
0: No, I think that's great. And, you know, it is an excellent show. I have listened to it before, but I would agree with you uh, that, you know, when you have, when you're the location of what, you know, many would consider, and we've talked about that too, uh, you know, the greatest Grateful Dead show of all time, uh, any other show that gets played in that venue, whether fair or not, is going to necessarily get measured against that one. And and in doing so, I would have to agree. I think this one holds up pretty well. But, but that's like saying that you should only listen to like 1231-78 from,
1: um, from Winterland, right? Right. There's so many other ridiculously Winterland shows that you know you say okay like it's just I only measure every other Winterland show against like you know the closing of right it's-
0: I agree but I mean and, and I'm not the one who started the whole thing about uh, you know May eighth seventy seven being the greatest show of all time but it is a damn good show and you know I, I think just because it it has that kind of notoriety to it you know in a good way that people say well. Boy, Barton Hall, and you're right. The first thing we go to is '77, but in doing so, uh, a lot of good shows get lost along the way. And you know, hey, that's our job to make sure that our listeners and everyone else out there don't forget about them. Definitely, definitely. So I think
1: we'll uh, we'll be t- talking about that one a bit more over the next um, next bit of time. But you know, in, in the interim, we we're really lucky, so We've got a great guest. We've got uh, Stacy Smith who's joining us. Stacy is a, a longtime Grateful Dead fan. Um, who grew up in the Bay Area, and uh, we'll let her tell a little bit of her story about growing up up there. But she is a an Atherton, California gal who has uh, seen a, a ton of shows and has now migrated her way back to the uh, the Northeast and is a cannabis cultivator and has her own um, uh, media company called Stranger Stopping Strangers. So, you know, obviously a big Scarlet fan as well. But um, Stacy, welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
2: I am good. I am chopping at the bit to start jumping in about eighty one. <laughs>
1: have at it yeah let's let's hear it
2: have at it i didn't want to interrupt i'm a Uh, closet please so here's my theory this is what i had thought about when i uh thought about 90 uh, 81 so i worked in the wine business before cannabis like many of us cannabis professionals we started with uh, you know wine and spirits so a long career with that and i always compare the grateful dead eras to vintages Right. So there was vintages that were great, you know, for for all the different wine regions. And for the Grateful Dead, you can ca- you can clock them in as, you know, I don't know, five, four five vintages that are gather a lot of attention. Late 60s, early 70s, late 70s, late 80s. And I like to say that from every great vintage, there's some, you know, wines that aren't so great. And from other vintages that have been skipped over for notoriety. There's some awesome fucking wines out there. So I felt like this just fits into that 81. It's not a vintage anyone thinks about, but that doesn't mean there isn't some incredible grower that had some outstanding wine from that. Can't
0: disagree with that. You know, I think 81 is not necessarily a year that's listed in in the top five by the Grateful Dead. But on the other hand, I think if you, as you, as you have encapsulated, and as Rob pointed out at the beginning... Um, you know it's one of those years you know that does tend to get overlooked and when you really kind of do a deep dive um, and this is why you know I say when Rob tries to say I'm the main guy I always laugh it off because he's the guy that knows about you know these shows to bring them back in and kind of give us the full circle picture so uh, this is really a great one to talk about and uh, we're going to look forward to getting to it in a few minutes um, and we'll you can have as much time as you like to talk about the Grateful Dead. We don't stop until we're done, just like them. Uh, but please, please, Stacy, give us a little bit of background. Tell us uh, where you're from, how you got into cannabis, and how you wound up doing what you're doing today. In two minutes, go.
2: Two minutes, go. So I am a third-generation San Francisco Bay Area native, uh, born and raised on the peninsula. And uh, I moved to Atherton from Millbrae in 1977, and my family moved into the ranch on Tuscaloosa that Bob Weir grew up in. So that's my crazy out there story. And as a small child, I didn't realize the significance, but in the late 80s, right after we moved, I started going to shows in Shoreline and felt like I was the hottest shit in the stadium while I was watching Bobby play. Like, oh my goodness, you know, we grew up in the same bedroom and had the same bus stop or, you know, whatever, but it's a really interesting part of the journey.
0: But you didn't find like any, you know, hidden Bobby Mementos buried in the house, you know, his old diary or something like that?
2: Well, there was a there was a family in between, so they 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 probably cleared that out. But we we did have the same ranch and after we sold it, it got knocked down and there's probably been five, you know, McMansions that have been put up, you know, since then, but you know, the pool and the pool house it's is the classic ranch, so we were the last owners that really lived in that same you know, vibe.
1: So how big was the other uh, property, man? Uh, because Atherton definitely has some, you know, used to for sure have some bigger properties. You had to have at least a couple acres there, huh?
2: The minimum is an acre to be in Atherton, and I think it was just over an acre. So we had uh, just over, an, I mean, living in New England, it's so hard to actualize an acre there versus an acre here now. But, uh, yeah, it was just over an acre, and it was a, uh, you know, it was a nice home, but it wasn't anything, you know, that was a... Uh, Nothing that was over the top, but nice pool and a couple of yards and there was a, a big
0: Now wait a second though, were any of your neighbors while you lived there also neighbors of the Weirs? Yes.
2: And in fact the band played in the backyard and neighbors said that they yeah, the day the band played in the backyard when Bobby was living there and they all met in Palo Alto and Kepler's and I mean that that was the that was the home ground, you know, cruising around Menlo Park, Palo Alto. Yeah.
1: Cool. Wow. Very cool. Well, and I think it's before all the venture capital guys moved into Atherton, huh?
2: Wild, right? I mean, wild to to think about it. I've taken my kids home there, and then we've Googled, you know, like cost of housing, you know, versus here. And I'm like, no, no, it looks like it looks like home, but it's you know, it's it's five million dollars for this house, you know, no, no, we are not moving here, you know. But right. Sure is gorgeous. Yes, but I uh, so so I worked in the wine and spirits business um, starting when I was 21 years old. I was uh, waiting tables and figuring out what to do with life and thought the people who came in with the wine bags, pouring wine and talking to the managers looked like everyone was having a really good time. So I, I broke into that at 21 and did that out there for about 11 years. And I met a New Englander through work and, he, and I moved back here to his hometown in Western Massachusetts in 2005. And continued in the Wine and Spirits business and a deadhead all the while. But I have to be honest, I, I kind of took a step back, you know, from moving and getting involved in your career. And, you know, it was another stage in life where it was always in the background, but wasn't really in the forefront. Um, and then got a bit of a what I like to call a, a born again, deadhead, you know, deep dive uh, after the farewell. The Thee and uh, I feel like I'm in pretty good company with that, but it, it really is kind of wild how much life can change in seven years. <laughs> it's so funny
1: you say that because I know so many people that kind of you know put The Grateful Dead on pause for quite a while and then either went and saw the uh, the shows in, uh, in Santa Clara or went and saw the shows in Chicago and came out with it like just kind of a fully renewed vigor for uh, for the music of The Grateful Dead after the 2005 shows, or 15 shows, excuse me. So, you know, the, the cool to hear you say that, but you know, for me, like, yeah, you know, it was a dream pairing. I mean, I'm a, a huge Trey fan as well, so it was uh, an easy one to convince me to go to. But that was the first time. Like, I, mean, I never stopped listening to the Dead. But that was the first time I made a conscious effort of like, I am dropping everything, I'm packing up, you know, and I'm heading out and, and seeing shows. Um, so super cool. That so for the last seven years, you're you're back on the bus, huh?
2: Absolutely, and kind of the the, the ethos of of the podcast and and the social media support was when that all started, I was like, gosh, I want to get in the conversation. And what was real different was social media, right? So I'm on Facebook and I was never a personal Facebook person. It's not really my jam, but I started seeing the pages, Uh, Aces Back to Back. uh, Scott Allen was the first one and I bought his book and I was like, wow, this is so fucking cool. And then I bought Dennis McNally's book and I was like, wow, I had never really dug into this so this is a fantastic story. So I emailed Dennis McNally, and I was, and he, and he emailed me back and said, "Yeah, oh, he's the world's
1: nicest guy.
2: Nicest guy." And he's like, "Yeah, I'll chat with you." And I said, "I want to get in the conversation more than a Facebook page, but I'm a, I'm a liquor saleswoman. I'm a mom. I've got a couple kids. You know, I'm, I, I'm not a media person at all, but I have something to say." And I want to talk to the deadheads. I want to share their stories. Everyone gets so happy when they talk about the dead, and so excited when they hear the music. And I want to, I want to bring that to life, but not like a, There's no way a documentary or something with that level of, you know, commitment is is in the cards. So it started a podcast, and um, it was in 2016. And the the thought was to chat with deadheads, and I would do a set list around them. So the idea was that they would send me the music in advance. I would chase down their moments and then we would chat and then play the music and then chat and play the music. And that was that's, that's pretty much it. So it was just a basement chat with, you know, people I met on Twitter. And then it went into meeting more Grateful Dead family members and um, stayed in touch with Dennis and Susanna was on it and Gerilyn was on it. And, you know, it morphed into different things. But I loved just going back to that deadhead that, you know, you park next to and you, you know, you went inside and you did boogied next to and you had no idea that you'd ever meet again. And just hearing those stories just from the, from the crowd, from the people is, is like the best for me.
0: Right. And, and then a week later you walk into a completely different arena and they're still sitting right next to you. And you're like, how the hell did that happen? So totally. yeah. magic. You again.
2: Yeah. Magic. <laughs> it's the magic of the dead. So I, I loved being able to bring a voice to, to them and the young people too. I had a, Quite a few episodes that I call 21st century deadheads and they were the kids that, you know, were the kids of kids or the kids that got turned on the same way I did through, you know, American beauty or they saw further, you know, whatever their story is. Everybody's story is so special and unique. So, yeah.
0: Well, except my kids, They're, my kids got into it because for 10 years, every time we drove from Chicago to St. Louis, I made them listen to the Grateful Dead to the point where they got so sick of it, they didn't want anything to do with it. But a few years later, when they got old enough, you know, they remembered and they I said, you know, listening to the Grateful Dead will never get you into trouble. And when you go to college and you're walking down the hall or people are walking down your hall and they hear you playing the Grateful Dead, the cool people will walk into your room. So, you know, just use it for that. And I think it's worked out well for them. Strangers stopping strangers.
2: Oh, oh my God! Right. From, my, from your lips to the universe's ears, man. My kids are so over me. But <laughs> we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But I'd love that.
1: So, so Stacy, I feel like we're missing some years here. If you were in Atherton and then you know took a, a job in the wine industry in your twenties, uh, in your teens, you obviously probably started seeing some shows in the Peninsula. I think you told me your first show was four thirty eighty eight or thereabouts at the Frost Amphitheater. Is that right?
2: Absolutely. So my Auntie Annie, my dad's sister, she graduated from high school in 69 in San Francisco. So she was the street kid, right? Like she, everyone came to the park and she was there to, to give them, you know, give them, show them the ropes.
0: Auntie Annie's pretzels in the airports?
2: No, but yeah, Auntie Annie, my super special Auntie Annie. She's a a a just, absolutely my spiritual, you know, leader, like amazing, amazing person in my life. And she, the first time I thought of the Grateful Dead when I was a kid, she played ripple and said she wanted it at her funeral. So that was like the very first conversation. So the first show, I do like I'm a kid. I don't know what that means. Of course I do now, but my first show was with uh, Anne and her husband. And we went to frost and, you know, it was, it was obviously local hometown and, Kicked it off there with shows and then, you know, grew up going to Shoreline and Oakland Coliseum and Cal Expo and Civic Center and, you know, the the Northern California run. Um, I was living in San Mateo, into San Mateo High School. And yeah, I just stayed in on the peninsula until I moved out here in 2005. So moved from Atherton to Foster City. um, But my family's all still there. So San Mateo family. So you
1: never did Napa or Sonoma when you were working in the wine industry. I figured you had to have uh, done a stint up there.
2: Oh yeah, no. I mean you, you name them, and I probably represented them <laughs> over the years. A lot of uh, I did some time with, um, gosh, with uh, Terlato Wines. That was Rutherford Hill and Chimney Rock and Markham. Great and, names some time working for Maryvale Vineyards. I was their winery direct person when I was in my early 20s, before they did uh, distribution with Southern Wine and Spirits. Worked for Constellation Brands when they were Franciscan Estates, Franciscan, Simi, Mount Veeder. Back when they
1: were a wine company, before they became a beer company.
2: Exactly. No, lots of, uh, lots of really amazing experiences in Monterey and Carmel and... Yeah, I could burn off both your ears when it comes to all of those fun stories from that that little time. But uh, yeah, then out here to work for a wine, uh, Mionetto, Prosecco. So a lot more uh, focus on European wines um, versus California on the East Coast. But managed co sailors and managed marketplaces. And yeah. Lot of a uh, lot of lot of meat on those bones for the wine and spirits, but then I I wanted to get into cannabis. I uh, I love wine, but you know I love weed more, and it's a uh, it's such a fascinating industry that I got pretty focused on it and ended up starting with a uh, Insa out in East Hampton uh, about three years ago, and so that was really exciting. I was boots on the ground wholesale for them, and I was working with the Dart, which was their proprietary vape. But then the vape ban happened in Massachusetts on uh, was September 24th, uh, 2019. Charlie Baker threw the uh, threw the hammer down, and that was sort of the beginning of the end. Yeah, he yeah, did. Yeah, I mean, I...
1: And then, well, we, we pushed back on that pretty hard, though, huh? I know Shalene Tidal took him to task for that one.
2: It, it was, you know, it was a very, um, you know, I'll say this. Living in Massachusetts, especially in these last few years, I have... Um, yeah. I have a ton of respect for how Charlie Baker has, has managed our state. You know, I, I really have really good things as a resident of Massachusetts, except for that fucking bait ban. Like, and the thing <laughs> is, it was how he did it. It was like, I never forget. I joined to the dispensary. I went to the cultivation, um, at like four o'clock and the news went down at two thirty, and Everything was quarantined, so you know it was just a turn on a dime. No one had any any lead time to prepare for it, so I think that was the most jarring thing about it was just how quickly it was expedited.
1: He he did something roughly the same during the beginning of COVID with essential versus non essential. Um, You know, Baker stepped in and then backed off his position, you know, pretty quickly on that as well. So, you know, I I think Charlie's done done a nice job, and obviously, like to, to be a moderate Republican in the Commonwealth. You know, you, you have to be able to get along with a state house that's, um, you know, primarily sitting in the opposition party. So I think Charlie's navigated it pretty well. And um, you know, you heard it, you heard it here first. There are moderate Republicans still out there, folks.
2: Amen to Charlie Baker. I mean, just to I use him as the moderate example when things get partisan. Um, you know, not to be partisan, but I was like, you know what, this guy, yeah, he's moderate.
0: A few more of them, and we'd have you know, we'd be in business.
2: Amen. But anyways, we're not here to talk about politicians and throwing stones, right? We're not throwing stones here. We're not throwing any stones. We're here to talk about weed and music. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so I started doing that and I've been um, in the wholesale gig. Um currently I work for Garcia Ham Picked, which is I mean, <laughs> see here how everything lead up to this day. I work I work for uh, for the, the Genderson family and uh launched the brand out here in Massachusetts in East Hampton and I'm their Chief Deadhead and uh, all good things, all good things.
0: That's awesome. When the brand first came out in Massachusetts, my son lives in Boston, and I was out there visiting him. And we, you know, they have a local dispensary, but the local dispensary wasn't selling any of the Garcia Handpicked and. Wherever they were selling it, it wasn't anywhere near where he was, so we never got around to getting it, but uh, I told him it's a good thing because this will give me lots of motivation to come back and visit you. You just have to find out where we can get this stuff. I've been lucky enough to be able to try it in my visits out to the West Coast, and it's you know, let's just put it like this. We don't have anything similar in Illinois. So I'm very happy to go out there and try that. And it helps that it's Garcia branded, too.
2: Yeah, it's, it, it, it's pretty rock star. And uh, they're phenomenal people. They're deadheads. They, uh, they, their background is in the wine and spirits business. And they're deadheads. And uh, it's really organic. So it's been a real pleasure. Cool.
1: Excellent, and uh, I'm guessing that means you've gotten to spend some time cruising around in Bertha.
2: I have, yeah, I uh, I, I have. Uh, we did the tour out here, and I got a little involved with the California tour. We brought Bertha to Hate Street and had a real good time with uh, Love on the Hate. And Gooberman came and played, and we had uh, Bob Minkin and Susanna Millman signing books and signed books for the bus, and it was it was all love. So yeah, it's it's been very cool.
0: Now, did, did you get to ride on the bus from the East Coast all the way out to the West Coast? That would be a fun cross-country trip, I think.
2: It'd be a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> no, I, uh, I just got to hop on and off the bus um, it, it, in between the wholesale gig, but uh, yeah, no, it was really special, and uh, yeah, all, all good things.
0: Wonderful. Well, I you know, look, if, if there's gonna be you know a brand in the you know a celebrity brand in the marijuana industry, it's certainly gonna to be a Garcia brand, I think, you know, and you're you're dealing with a a dedicated customer base who will buy anything that he puts his name on, let alone something that you know ninety percent of them probably enjoy uh to one degree or another so uh that's very exciting stuff um and, and but tell us a little bit about the strangers stopping strangers and, and you know where it's gone um you know and, and for instance w- what's the best story you think
2: you've heard so far oh my goodness that's like asking the best song right <laughs> what's your favorite come on larry There's there's no, there's no favorites. They're all our, our children. Well,
0: not a favorite, but one that like, you know, really moved you maybe, you know, in a way that, you know, you hadn't anticipated or, you know, was really just kind of like, wow, that's a very cool story type you of You know,
2: thing. It, it's hard to articulate at the time. I have to say in retrospect, uh, emotionally for me, probably the most special one is Jerilyn Brandelice. She was, uh, it was the Jerry's, uh, birthday. It was the 75th birthday. And I mean, Gerilyn has the most amazing stories and she was the most beautiful woman who was, you know, really ushered into um, connections within the, the Grateful Dead family. And, you know, now that she's passed to have that experience and to have become friends with her, you know, that we met via she was going to be on the podcast, but we were friends for years. And so I think looking back, I think Gerilyn's podcast is celebrating Jerry's birthday is probably the most meaningful in looking back to, you know, heartstrings.
0: Wonderful. That's a great story too. And sure. I mean, you know, Geraldine is an often underlooked part of the the grateful dead family, but uh, uh, very important nonetheless. And, you know, you get people like that, you know, who are willing to come on and share their stories with you. You know, what I've heard, like even just, you know, listening to, um, uh, you know, the big Steve hour, right. And he starts talking about stuff and, and a lot of the stories, you know, he winds up telling on their face seem, I don't want to say normal, but, you know, like, okay, well, you know, that could be anybody, but yet it's really more than that, isn't it? Because I mean, this is big Steve talking about episodes that happened, you know, when he was traveling with the grateful dead. And, and that's what all of us as deadheads, I think, you know, there's this natural curiosity of, you know, these guys are up on stage and they're doing their thing all the time. And there's this, you know, kind of select group of people that, you know, are are part of their uh, immediate surrounding. And, you know, there's, there's just a natural curiosity, you know, what's the grateful dead like on that side of the fence. Although I think where I came away with that was I was always very happy being on my side of the fence because I just enjoyed listening to him. And I was a, a sports reporter, a journalism major uh, when I was at in the University of Michigan undergrad, and it was a lot of fun. I got to go to a lot of great games, but one of the things that was a little disappointing is you got to really see what kind of assholes these athletes really were. Not all of them, but enough of them that it just, you know, almost kind of took the fun out of it. And I just always said to me, you know, not that I can imagine it would be the case, but what if? Garcia just turns out to be an asshole. What would that, what would that do for me? <laughs>
2: exactly. You know,
0: So I'm like, right. I, you guys go do your thing. I'm very happy to be over here and listen to you play your music. And not to say I would have ever turned down a chance to chat with him, but you know, that was just my justification for the way it all went down. But that's great stuff. That's really exciting. Well,
2: and you know, I'm a, uh, i am I definitely have to say thinking about the different podcast guests, and this is really important part of the journey is how I met Sherilyn was through Deb Solomon with wall street dead ahead so Deb was one of my first connections. We, we need to get Deb on this
1: show. We, I, I love Deb.
2: Deb is the best. And Deb, um, I have a funny Deb story on podcast, but she was never on it. She will be 75. If I ever come out, we call her the elusive 75 because I stopped at 74. Because Deb, Deb doesn't do podcasts, but she sure sends a lot of guests my way. Um, a lot of amazing people. But I met Geraldine through Deb. So Deb said, you two got to meet, you know, she was doing the wheel and wanted to uh, have a connectivity. So I met Geraldine through Deb and, you know, Rex Foundation and events. And that's really, you know, was a was a the conduit to cultivating this relationship. And my favorite old guard story that just came to mind is, Wall Street Dead Ahead 2017 and it's the fall and they do their you know annual party and Susanna Millman was is part of Wall Street Dead Ahead and Gerilyn was and Rosie McGee is. So they did the before event and you know the, the mixer and at towards the you know middle end of the mixer, Deb says to me, Stacy, can you take the ladies out? You know, I want to make sure that they go out, they have a nice dinner, they're in the city, I've got a bazillion things going on for tomorrow's event. Well, you you know, why don't you go to dinner with them? So I did. And it's just like this crazy cherished memory of we went to this, you know, tapas place and had sangria. And, you know, we're, you know, these women in their early 70s. And we talked about their grandchildren. And we talked about politics. And we talked about the sangria. And it was the most normalized conversation you could ever imagine having dinner with Phil's chick, Dennis's chick, and Mickey's chick, right? And they're just these amazing ladies having tapas and you know just maybe i'll have that second glass of sangria anyways we're in new york city ladies you know it was it was so much fun so yeah wall street dead ahead and deb has been um yep. yeah really ushered in some amazing amazing stuff
1: so, so let's do a quick shout out to deb solomon for those of you, those of you out there that aren't familiar with her wall street dead ahead puts on events in new york city um, for a lot of people that are in the uh, the financial community in New York, but it's certainly morphed out of that to you know, be more welcoming of a lot of different people. But they're always really fun events. It's always packed, the Deadhead. She does it at different, different bars or different venues around the city. And uh, I've only been to a few of them, but everyone I've been to, I've bumped into tons of old friends, and uh, I met tons of other people through those friends that are just really fun. So it's this huge community of of Deadheads in New York, and uh, Deb is the conduit to to bring them all together. So hats off and you know, cheers to Deb Solomon.
2: She's amazing. And she's, um, and I'll just kind of throw in for them now, like she's been doing these really amazing networking events via Zoom, you know, acclimating to to our current world. And um, it is just, you know, keeping the momentum going with deadheads mixing with other deadheads to to come to the table with, you know, what their focus is and what, um, how people can help one another, you know, just, it's really beautiful.
0: That's very cool. And, and one of the things that I, I like about your project is that, you know, it's always great to get, you know, people like that on because they obviously bring a level, you know, of insight and, uh, and whatever that, that the average deadhead might not have. But what always amazes me is when, when those types of people are telling their stories, they, they, they sound you know, very normal. It's not like they're doing anything that much more out of the ordinary than the rest of us. It's just who they're doing it with that kind of, you know, really makes it interesting. And and on the flip side of that, you know, I found, you know, I say, you know, sitting down and talking to the deadhead sitting next to you, you hear amazing stories from people who just, you know, otherwise seem, you know, just as run of the mill as I'm sure I seemed everybody else, you know, but every deadhead has gr- great stories. And, you know, you could sit down and, and they tell their stories and it makes me remember five of my own that I hadn't thought of in years. So, you know, I, I really like that idea of, you know, the community coming together and, and sharing stories and, you know, engaging with one another like that. It's a great thing.
2: It's all about the mix. All about the mix, right? It's all about the mix. Have every everybody, you know, there's there's a there's a family member and every, you know, we're everywhere, right? We're everyone, we're everywhere, we're, you know, we're business people, we're yeah, we're, we're, we're living on the streets. We're kids, we're moms, we're, you know, we're, we're everyone and everywhere. So it's, it's really beautiful. Hey,
1: so Stacey, are you watching any of the, um, sort of other iterations of different bands that are, that are forming and, you know, playing Grateful Dead music? And are you, you watching any of like, you know, J-Rad or Billy and the Kids, or did you get a chance to see, um, you know, Bob Weir's, uh, play with Billy Strings? A couple of videos just came out from Nashville last week. Have you had a chance to check any of that out?
2: I have. Tremendous. I uh, I saw that we're going to dig into a little bit of the uh, the Franklin's, the helps of Frank. Um, but uh, yeah, no, for sure. In fact, I'm, I'm supposed to go down to the West Bowl on Saturday to see J. Rad with some friends. Um, really great gang. And I love it. I went to Skull and Roses. Rob, we talked about that for a couple of minutes, um, which was I mean, just just really bringing it back to the local people, the local scenes, the local bands. I mean, I, I had such a great time and getting to see the China Cats from Santa Cruz and Electric Waistband from San Diego and and Roots of Creation. You know, shout out to them came out from New Hampshire and did their Grateful Dub and Brown Eyed Women. And I mean, I could go on and on getting to see all these iterations and different ages and and the women and the reggae and the all these different vibes playing together was, um, it was, it, it was everything. Nice.
0: And Larry, do you, uh, did you get a chance to
1: listen to the, uh, the Billy strings with, uh, with
0: Bobby? Oh yeah. I went in and listened to the clip you sent and then just kept
1: listening. Well, maybe, uh, Dan, do you want to cue that up and uh, play a little bit of that for us right now?
0: Okay, Rob. Well, I see what you meant about uh, that note for note on the uh, slip That's yeah, that's that's right on. That's as good as I've heard anybody do it, besides Jerry. Yeah,
1: and on acoustic too. I mean, you commented on that earlier, but but to be able to do it, you know, that clean, and, right? And look, I'm just starting to learn about the, the magic of Billy Strings, and you know, I've heard it from so many people for the last three years. Like, you got to see this guy. You got to see this guy. And only in the last you know six months, have I actually been trying to like find some videos or find some music that he's done. But obviously this one, when I heard he played with uh, with Bob in Nashville, I immediately you know, went to go look for it on the internet to see if I could find anything. And, uh, you yeah, he is, he is truly an exceptional talent. And, uh, and I love seeing like a young player who's just that good. And it's like the way I felt like when, you know, seeing a young Jimmy Herring or a young um, or, or a young uh, Trey Anastasia Derek Trucks or Derek Trucks, yeah, Derek at <laughs> yes. 15, where you, you realize that you're watching someone who's just on a level that's just that much better than most other people and has such a great feel for the guitar so, uh, you know, watching Billy do this and, uh, you know, the cool part too, is that as you get into the Franklins, Billy lets, um, Bob take the lead, you know, on the, uh, on the electric, but it's a very, very different kind of lead. And then he'll come back in during, you know, the choruses and start jumping back into, uh, to playing lead on the acoustic, but it's a totally different style than most Franklins you're used to, but the slipknot, you know, on, on the technical part of the slipknot, He's just nailing it.
0: You know, and and look, with all due respect to John Mayer, who we've talked about plenty on this show, I would love to see Billy step in and, you know, play around with Dead and Company and, and, you know, and hear his guitar playing on some of that stuff too. Um, You know, when you hear a guy who's that good, you want to surround him with as many pieces of the Grateful Dead as you can to see what kind of a sound they can actually produce. And, you know, I mean, here he is just with Bob, and it's it's as good a version of Help Slip Frank that I've heard, you know, in a long time. And, um, you know, maybe since I saw, well, you know, Phil and the Quintet do it last fall, but okay, that's, you know, that's that's Warren, so that's always going to be an exception. But, you know, nevertheless, this guy's, I mean, his guitar playing is, is it, when, I, when I mentioned Derek Trucks, it's because it's true, you know, there are not that many young guitar players who play really technically so skilled at that level. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's just great to hear, and I, it's, it's wonderful that there's another generation of great guitar players coming along.
1: And what's amazing is like, you know, you always think about um, what you used to hear about uh, Billy Joel versus like an Elton John, right? Where, you know, Billy had to work really, really hard for it to be that good at piano. Whereas for Elton, it just came so unbelievably naturally. When you watch Billy Strings play, like that guy, there's just something going on in that guy's head where he's, he gets it. There's a direct line from his soul to his fingers that, um, that you know, like most guitar players don't have. And uh, it, it's so obvious. You're just watching him like just tap out some unbelievably technical stuff, not just in that, but in other things I watched him do. That, you know, the reason he's getting the notoriety he is, not just like with the jam band community, but just like, you know, across all music right now, is uh, he is he is truly that good. Just
0: unbelievably talented. Well, I think that, you know, in the current scene, there's plenty of great bands out there. I know Goose has been getting a lot of attention and a number of other bands that we've discussed, but it, it, it's not the same as having somebody step forward with that just kind of unbelievable talent that you know every group that he plays with he kind of elevates along the way and it'll be interesting to see over time whether he settles in with a regular group of uh you know performers and you know forms his own band or whether he just kind of keeps it loose and goes around but you know you mentioned some you know big names and other stuff. But, you know, you you have to start to think, you know, this is what people, what it must've felt like to see a young Eric Clapton, right. Or, or young, well, young, only young Dwayne Allman, right. Or, you know, Jimi Hendrix even, I mean, guys who picked up a guitar and made it sound different than other people made it sound. For
1: Bluegrass, last time I
0: saw, this was like when Jeff Austin from Yonder Mountain first came out,
1: you know, and you know, rest in peace, Jeff Austin, but in his prime when he was doing his thing, there was, there was no one else I ever saw that you know could could pick a mandolin the way that guy could. He's uh, like straight fire, um, and that's the way you know. And, and again, so naturally, just so easily, just you know, like some some people are just born to do something, and uh, Billy Strings is born to, to play stringed instruments. Uh, so uh, I loved it.
2: I I have a theory. I'll jump in. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm being very nicely quiet back here for me in the background, but I, I have to say are like the vintages. Theory I have on musicians and artists. So I think artistry can cross over from anything you're an artist at, where you can really, you reach artist level when it's this way that you can just hear this person playing just by the sound of exactly what you're saying, just by its intuitive sound. So you mentioned Eric Clapton, Jimi Hendrix, obviously Garcia, Billy Joel. like. But I feel like coming from wine or I'm sure within cannabis or I think of it with food often, like a chef when when somebody can make the exact same recipe as somebody else, but you know who made that food, even though they followed the exact same recipe, that's an artist, and so i I love like you know just digging in santana, like there's just these people when they're playing in the background and you don't hear their vocals, but you just know it's them, you know because they're just so they're just so significant,
1: yeah. We, we, we've talked about that in the past, Stacey, Like you know, and Larry. Larry always uses the example of morning dew. That all you need to do is hear that first note, and you know exactly who it is, and you know exactly what the song is from just literally one note in the tone, where it's you know that distinctive. Oh, first note, Shakedown. Like instantaneously, you go, "That's Garcia and that Shakedown."
2: It's incredible. No, it's incredible. My my husband's a big Beatles fan, so we we sit around at night and smoke pot and listen to music and and go back and forth on. He indulges me on all my theories <laughs> that I want to share. Well, that's what a good
0: husband should do.
2: Yeah, we, we read that out. You know, I am going to sign off in a few minutes because as a uh, multitasking woman, my daughter is a softball game that was uh, starting between 6 and 6.30 Eastern Standard Time. So I, as we're talking and I turn my camera mute on, I've been gathering water bottles and stuff and got a text, when are you going to be at the field, mom? but uh, yeah this is so much fun yeah and the last thing I want to do is hop off but then there lies the balance of life right
0: yes it does well Stacy geez, thank you I mean first of all for even taking the time I know you're very busy and and we appreciate anyone who's willing to come on and you know help move our you know our story meaning the story of the Grateful Dead and the deadheads and marijuana in general forward and, and you're clearly somebody who has done that um, you know uh, in, in, a, in a very profound way and um, we'll be looking forward to hearing more about some of the stuff you're working on and please stay in touch with us and we'd love to have you back again in the future
2: thank you so much and i'll I'll do a quick plug strangers shopping strangers you know we're i'm uh, gonna be working with the community with um jay lee is a good friend of mine that i'll be doing some stuff with them and woven free and all different kinds of very cool like local deadhead businesses that we're gonna, gonna blow it out a lot of the women in the community and get a lot of videos and pictures and just get all these small businesses to work together. You know, tours coming out, the time is right. We're dancing in the streets and strangers stopping strangers intentions is to be there and film it and share it and just get everybody uh, up shaking their bones together. Well,
0: we'll look for you at Wrigley field this summer.
2: I'll be there. Yeah. And,
1: and Stacy, before I let you go, uh, cause I never get to do this and this is so much fun to be able to do. Tell us about our guest for next week.
2: Oh, so speaking of community and work and social media and all that good stuff. So you are going to have the most awesome guest next week. Uh, Dave Ellison, Wall Street deadhead. Met him through Deb. Got to throw that out. Deb said you two have to meet. A wonderful guy. I mean, he is just this enthusiastic, crazy rabbit hole deadhead that has, I mean, doing social media for somebody with that kind of content is ridiculous. And uh, yeah, I can't wait for you to meet him. Very involved with Cannabis and and, uh, was in the Toronto Star for the 420. And I mean, just the most gorgeous location, knowledgeable guy, And just so much fun. I mean, just he and I speak in lyrics. So my husband says, "You're going to be the one talking to Dave because he's texting me these lyrics." And I don't know, you know, like that's you, baby. We'll talk about hockey. (laughs) So he's, uh, but he's really incredible. I'm so excited you guys met, and um, I can't wait for you to to dig in with him. He's got a lot of great, a lot of great insights on on all aspects.
0: Excellent. Well, we will uh, do it and hope you'll be listening as well and uh, there'll be more great stories to share with all of our listeners.
2: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on. And this is the first podcast that I have been a part of since I stopped mine three years ago. So, you know, what a, what a pleasure. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, we are honored and glad you could do it. Go enjoy your game and hopefully the good team wins.
2: (laughs) Sounds good. All right. Thanks guys. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye.
0: Okay. Well, thank you very, very much again to uh, Stacy Smith for spending a little time with us today. She's uh, the type of guest we like on this show because she's a nerd like we are, and she can talk about this stuff all day without catching her breath like we can. And
1: You know what I love? I love that she, she's like um, the way uh, Katie Tur is with fish lyrics, right? She's able to drop them in seamlessly into any part of her conversation. Yes. Where it's like it, it comes absolutely naturally where she knows like, where, the, uh, where the line fits in. So, uh, you know, it's easy to do when you're writing it, very hard to do when you're speaking it.
0: I, I couldn't agree with you more. I did it for my son's uh, wedding. I, I wrote a toast, where That's right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. But I sat down, and I actually wrote it out. And it was much easier to do. Um, yeah, it, uh, you really have... Uh, Bob Hoban is another one who's really good at that. Bob Hoban drops lyrics into his presentations all the time. I, every time he ever drafts anything, I always notice at least one one Grateful Dead quote at least when Hoban writes. But, but the best part is when he presents because I think we talked about it when he was on the show. He and a whole group of his buddies, they keep a Little game going. How many different references they can slip in, you know, to just otherwise normal and ordinary presentations where, you know, the rest of the world is not expecting it, listening to it, or even understanding what you're saying the way the deadheads understand it if they're you know smart enough to catch it. So it's a lot of fun. Well, as Stacy said,
1: we are everywhere, and uh, when you slip that in, it's it's it makes your head turn. Cause you hear someone else say, it and you're like, ah, yeah, they get it. <laughs> it's always really really fun.
0: Well, it's true, and you know, it's it's it, when you're part of a large group like that, and I'll just take very quick 30 seconds here to shamelessly plug the University of Michigan for that exact same reason because you know the largest uh, alumni base in the world I, I'm wearing a shirt today that's based on a uh, podcast not a podcast a blog that I read and these guys put crazy t-shirts on all the time MGo blog if anyone's out there listen to it it's the best Michigan blog around these guys get it they're really on top of shit and they always like have timely t-shirts so years ago when Michigan was in the tournament they won a big game and their coach was John Beeline who was really boring they asked him after the game what'd you do to celebrate and he said oh, it was so great. We went, we had subs. And they thought it was so funny that they printed up a t-shirt for it. It's in, in you know, maize as we'd call it in blue, but it doesn't say Michigan anywhere on there. It just says we had subs. We went crazy. So a few years ago, I'm at Jazz Fest and I'm walking around wearing the shirt. And all of a sudden I hear somebody yell, go blue. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't have my Michigan hat on. Why are they yelling go blue at me? And they're pointing at their shirt. My wife says, they're pointing at your t-shirt dummy. And I'm like, oh yeah, right. You know, go Michigan fans are everywhere. There you go. You know, just like that. So thank you for bearing with me on that, uh, that tangent. Subtle references. Yep. And those are, those are the best, right? I, I always kind of thought it would be cool, like, you know, to get older and, you know, like my dad always drove around, you know, in a, uh, a old's 98, you know, so not that I ever aspired to drive an old's 98, but you know, you get to that age in life where you're driving a nice car and, you know, maybe on the license plate holder, you just put a tiny little steal your face sticker, right? That's just there. So the people who want to see can see the people who don't don't, and you're so old, the cops don't care anyway. <laughs> Totally.
1: Hey, so should we uh, should we talk about some canvas news from the last week or so? See anything anything fun going on in the world of weed?
0: Well, you know, um, we were just talking about, uh, you know, it was Stacy about Democrats, Republicans, and all of that. And it's nice to see that the uh, Independent Community Bankers of America are now getting behind the uh, the Safe Banking Act and and really trying to make a push for it. And as much as I enjoy that and appreciate that, I'm not sure that you know that changes. My view, and when I say my view, I really mean your view, uh, which is that we're not going to see this pass on the federal level anytime soon.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think that's right. But there's greater and greater um, uh, support for this bill. But you know, if I've learned anything, uh, mansion and cinema can always crush your dreams. So it's uh
0: <laughs> oh god! Please. I just I really I I know we don't talk politics. That's just so painful to even think about. Yeah, I saw what happened today in that vote. That's so. Gorgeous.
1: I mean that aside, it's uh, you know look, there's plenty of other um, senators. I don't think will pass this thing either. But at the same time, like I am finally hearing so many people I know that I trust in the industry. They're going this time might be different. You know, this time really, you know, we're seeing real support. We're seeing you know a real push to try to get this thing done. And if not now, you know, before this legislative session is over. So. I'm becoming more optimistic. I'm not, uh, I'm not there yet, but I'm certainly more optimistic. But every time we see another group get on board that actually moves the needle as far as their influence, um, you know, politically moves the, the needle, then uh, we're that much closer.
0: Well, I don't disagree, but one of the things that concerns me right now, um, and I, you know, and I almost hesitate to mention this because, you know, my concerns are far from what the concerns of everybody else are. And that's this whole Roe versus Wade thing. And what we're seeing, I think, are, are the sides, you know, really, really digging in hard right now, you know, and into the trenches and saying, look, we're prepared. You know, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, we're going to it's going to be all out war from this point on. We're going to have to do this and that. And I, I and I'm just concerned that as a result of that, it's going to be harder and harder to find examples of bipartisanship on bills such as the Safe Banking Act or any any of these acts that we're talking about uh, that would move legalization of marijuana in the right direction? I think it's moved,
2: moved anything.
1: It's you know, like if gridlock was bad before, I think this is a, such a divisive issue, not just, you know, politically, but just for America in general, that, um, you know, th- people feel very, very strongly about this issue. And, uh, you know, they're, they're certainly picking a team and they're sticking with that team and they will do whatever it takes to, to support that team. And, you know, what we're witnessing right now is, You know, 30 years plus of uh, a culmination of, you know, trying to uh, trying to get to this point where, you know, if Mitch McConnell pats himself on the back for anything in his career, is he delivered, you know, he delivered, he delivered what they asked him for. And then he's, he's played a long, long game to get there. And now, you know, the the whole country is up in arms about it. And my question is, what do you think was going to happen in 2016? You know, like the, the, you, you knew it was, you knew it was on the table then with uh, with Scalia, you know, and Scalia leaving the court. So again, without devolving, you know, into a uh, into a political discussion, all I can say out there, and you know, sort of hats off to, to Andy Bernstein over a Headcount and the work that he's done, and you know, all the people that are out there trying to get people to vote. Your vote matters. Get out there and vote. Whatever whatever it is you want to see passed, whatever it is you believe in, your vote matters. And uh, if you're not getting it now, like I, I, every time something major happens, you know, and I still hear apathy from, from people, or I hear them say, oh, yeah, well, I didn't like that guy because, you know, I didn't like his commercial. But they know the other alternative is worse. But it's not that they don't vote for the alternative. It's that they just don't vote, right? And it, it makes me absolutely apoplectic to watch people not exercise the most important right that they're given in this world. The, the thing that makes our democracy amazing is that you actually have the choice, and they choose not to exercise it, and then they feel comfortable uh, complaining about the result. So it's, you know, look, look, now is a better time than ever to, uh, I don't care what your per- political persuasion is, if you feel strongly about an issue, and this is the one that probably more people feel strongly about than anything else, then this is the time that you should be looking at these midterms saying, I, I absolutely need to get out there and do whatever I can to, to support my position. Because this is, as you said, people are looking at this as all out war. And I'm, I'm, I'm a moderate, right? I don't want all out war. I want I want sensible policy that, that happens where we can figure out a way to to come to compromise, and that is not the direction we're going because the more you care about an issue, the more those people will vote when you're sitting there, you know, wondering what you're going to have for dinner tonight.
0: I think it's very true, you know, and and you know, quite honestly, from the the perspective of the industry, you know, the thought that comes to my mind is, and and you know, I I say this, you know, just because I'm hearing it on TV all the time, so you know, there there's a whole crew of conservatives, you know, who are ready uh, to take this ruling with Roe, you know, and, and this idea of, you know, whether or not the 14th Amendment grants us this, you know, kind of penumbra of, you know, individual rights and things like that, um, you know, of which abortion is certainly one. And, you know, what other changes are they willing to make? You know, people have been talking about, well, you know, what about birth control? Will they go after that? Or will they go after even something like gay marriage? But then, you know, what's to stop them from going back after marijuana? And to say, you know, more or less, if you're talking about the same level of morality that's, you know, that's, that's motivating so many of these people, you know, I, I'm concerned all of a sudden you get people who come back and say, well, and by the way, what's with this marijuana being legal? This shouldn't be legal either. And for politicians, that might be a much easier one to collapse on.
1: Yeah, let's be clear about this. I mean, Roe is 50 years of, of settled precedent. Gay marriage is, you know, seven or eight years now of settled precedent. We don't have settled precedent in cannabis. Cannabis is, you know, still remains federally illegal. So this isn't even a question of you know turning back on, on existing policy. That existing policy has still never been put in place. You know, and you can look at states' rights and you can look at a Fourteenth Amendment or a federalism perspective on cannabis in general. And you know that you know, you can take the um, uh, the position that you know this is a states' rights thing, and that's what we're being you know sort of forced to believe right now. Of like, oh no no, this isn't about stripping away constitutional rights. This is about you know turning it back over to the states. Okay. I mean, I tend not to agree with that position, but, uh, but, but, you know, other people may, but in this case, you could wipe it completely off the table. There isn't even a state's rights issue here. It's, you know, here it's a federal perspective of, yeah, you know what, we're not doing that anymore. And whatever we thought we've done to date, you know, it's gone.
0: But what if they go a step further and what if they appoint a, uh, an attorney general and say, we want you to go after marijuana right now. You know, we don't care what the States have said. We think it's illegal. And as far as we're concerned, you can go in there and start busting them. Screw them.
1: The fact that is, they can do it very, very easily. And you know, I have this conversation with people all the time and everyone's like, no, we're too well entrenched. And my response is, you know, the, the industry is already very, very fragile. It's um, you know, you look at most of the state markets and almost no one's making money. Uh, you know, So many uh, people have their hand in your pocket already, whether it's, you know, your municipality or whether it's the state or whether it's the federal government or whether it's, you know, forcing you to go through things that the illicit market doesn't have to do. But it's already, you know, very, very fragile. And even with that fragility, um, you know, you thinking, okay, well, at least we've got scale. All they've got to do is go after two or three of the biggest companies. You know, they go after, you know, Cureleaf, GTI and Trueleaf and make examples of, of Kim Rivers, Ben Kovler and Boris Jordan. This thing's over. You know, there isn't a single investor that that, that puts a dollar into the industry after that, and this thing collapses under its its own weight. So it's not like, look, I think the likelihood of that happening is very remote, but I thought the likelihood of overturning 50 years of precedent was relatively remote as well.
0: Right. If 50 years isn't enough to give you some confidence that the the framework within which you're operating is... Boy, after 50 years, it feels pretty much like it's permanent now. Then the next day, no, it's not. You know how can you ever, you know, really get to that level of comfort? And certainly, you know that on uh, on on one of Dan's other podcasts, MJ Bulls, is, you know, the financing of marijuana. These topics come up and get talked about all the time. And you know, the 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 elephant in the room always is the federal government, the fact that it's illegal, and you know, you know, Jeff Sessions proved to be uniquely incompetent in terms of doing anything about anything, you know, notwithstanding all of his screaming yeah. and yelling about what he was going to do. But, you know, uh, a guy like Chris Christie who, or, you know, somebody who's you know similarly motivated could step in and really do something.
1: That, that's exactly right. I mean, people underestimate, you know, the position that Chris Christie took against cannabis and, and very vocally took against cannabis you know, that guy was a, a hair away from being the AG, you know, it could have gone either way, but for, you know, uh, Kushner's position on dislike of Christie, Christie would have been our attorney general. So it's, uh, you know, it, it, that could happen. It could happen very, very quickly. And so, you know, again, it just, it, it says to me, get out there and vote. If you care about cannabis issues, get out there and vote. If you care about any other issues, get out there and vote. Um, because, you know, Congress will take, will take positions that you may not like. Uh, speaking of which our, our next thing we we're going to discuss is, is you know Congress is now being asked by major business to uh, to to really step in on and deal with trademark issues that are happening in the Canvas world, and we've seen it for you know many years now, where people come out with brands and come out with products that are very very similar, or you know, kind of rip off names of existing brands. But you know if there's one thing we know about uh, about Congress, and mostly on both sides of the aisles, they're you know relatively pro business and they're very much in support of protecting intellectual property rights. So you know I'm curious to see what
0: except Walt Disney's.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. You know, currently, yeah. But do we think that, you know, we're going to see more enforcement, you know, coming outwards, you know, enforcement actions might not be on the greater industry, but it might be on very specific parts of the industry for for infringement. And I wouldn't be surprised if we do.
0: Well, I'll tell you, to me, there's, there's two different things going on here. Number one, it's a shame that the cannabis industry still, for the most part, you cannot, well, on the marijuana side, you still can't really get trademarks. Uh, certainly nothing that's enforceable. And until we have trademarks, every strain they sell in any dispensary anywhere is, you know, a, a who's who's best guess of what it really is. And I don't care that you're calling it blue dream. How the hell do I know? Right. If I buy a Big Mac at any McDonald's, I know it's to all be patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, blah, blah, blah. It's, that's what it's going to be, but it's not the same. And until we, you know, nobody's going to make the investment to take their strain of blue dream around the country until they know that they can trademark that name and, and you know, really have some ownership with it. And so that, that's one issue. But the other issue that I was kind of gathering uh, from this article is the Gorilla Glue problem, right? The strain of marijuana right. that adopts the name Gorilla Glue. Or Girl Scout Cookies. Or, right and I think that those groups are pushing back very hard and I have to tell you I don't blame them I don't either. Yep. You, right you know I mean it's funny and we can all kind of laugh about it on, on the cannabis side but I could easily see where a group like the Girl Scouts once they have nothing to do with cannabis on any level whatsoever and doesn't want to be referenced by them in any way and they should have a right to say it's pretty off brand right you know keep us out of this you know notwithstanding the fact that we have Girl Scouts who set up outside dispensaries to sell their cookies which I just give them a thumbs up for um, you know right it, If if a company has gone out and, and, you know, uh, spent the time and the money and and the political capital or whatever you have to do to build up a a brand name, uh, you know, to be able to just step in and tie it into the marijuana industry and say, well, the hell with that, I'm going to make some money doing it. Look, if you get away with it, fine. If the company has a sense of humor, great. But if they object, you got to be prepared to stop. And I think it takes, you know, a lot of chutzpah to even go out and try and, you know, do a knockoff of Oreos in the cannabis industry. Yeah,
1: for, for sure. And, you know, I talk about this very frequently with my, uh, with my Tuesday night dinner partner, your buddy and mine, Dave Brantman, who is, uh, you know, one of the, the foremost uh, IP trademark and uh, copyright attorneys in the cannabis space uh, based out here in California. And, uh, you know, Dave and I talk frequently about what, what you can and can't do in canvas and obviously there is state protections you know on the trademark side there are state protections and i actually think that dave um has a very novel approach to potentially how to you know trademark at the federal level but we'll we'll leave that until he actually gets a chance to put his uh, his plan to action but you know for anyone out there that, that wants to learn more about trademark and ip issues dave has a um a talk that he does on clubhouse every week on cannabis ip and cannabis trademarks so if you're on clubhouse you know go check him out uh that's Brantman, uh, branfman b-r-a-n-f-m-a-n but uh, he's terrific uh, in the subject.
0: He's great. I met Dave at uh, one of the normal conferences, the first time I ever went years ago, and uh, uh, just naturally gravitated to him because I've always liked intellectual property and I, you know, studied it, but I've never been smart enough to really, you know, understand it on the level that he does. Uh, but you know, a lot of times people with that kind of knowledge, you know, can be very short and brusque, and he just couldn't have been nicer. And uh, you know, we hit it off, and we still stay in touch from time to time. So shout yep. out to Dave Brantman and a big music fan. Yeah, big big music fan. You know, so. Uh, and, you know, another guy that you know, i like to go see shows with as well, so super cool. Well, that'll bring me back to San Diego for sure then, so we'll see about that. But yeah, so lots going on in the cannabis world, and, and you know, hopefully all for the good. I, I guess that's the only other thing about this that really kind of concerns me. We're sitting here trying to build up a positive image for the cannabis industry. Forget about the, um, the intellectual property conflict. What about the fact that somebody's selling cannabis in a package that looks like Oreo cookies? That's attractive to kids, you know. And, and we're sitting here trying to say we're not targeting kids, we're not Joe Camel, we're not doing anything like that. But somebody like that destroys that credibility in a heartbeat.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. But the counterpoint to that is there's so many great edibles out there that people want to take, and they don't necessarily want a you know, a combustible. They don't want to smoke a joint. They don't want to do a dab. So if you can actually make something that's a really nice, you know, um, uh, you know, soft chew or caramel. You know, I, I do a lot of work with Forefront these days, and Forefront has an absolutely amazing product line of, of Chewies and of Marma's and of, um, of Pebbles, all these different products. But when they package them, they package them where every single individual piece is, is childproofed and, you know, the box is child-proofed. So I, I've got no issue with making something, you know, look uh, appetizing and, and have a really great flavor and a great taste. But you still have to protect it, and you don't want to make it look identical to something else so that a child is going to immediately associate it with um with a brand they're already very familiar with there's there's got to be differentiation so you know uh, I definitely think we need more more enforcement on that side to make sure there's no confusion
0: yeah no a- a- absolutely and a- anything at all that can be used by anybody to to try to suggest that you know the the cannabis industry is grooming, which is a very a powerful word these days. Um, you know, the next generation to be marijuana smokers um, will will do nothing, I think, but but set our progress back uh, because we're trying so hard to, to display this as you know something for adult use and something for medical use, and and you know we all you know try to go out of our way to emphasize that we all recognize that you know 21 years of age or older has to be the rule, and and all of that, and, and I you know I, notwithstanding the fact that most of us started smoking marijuana before we were 21. Um, you know, I, I think as far as official policy goes, that's a pretty good idea. We also started drinking before
1: we were 21. We also started smoking cigarettes before we were 21. You know, all those things. You know, 21 is, is set as an age very specifically, knowing that you know law enforcement knows that people start a little younger than that, but they're trying to make sure they're keeping it out of the hands of 15 and 16 year olds. And if you allow for 19 year olds, then the age gets lower for when people you know first start trying.
0: And by the way, Mrs. Hunt, if you're listening to this, your son is just joking. He's trying to make a point politically here. That's all. <laughs> Yeah, I only drank
1: wine with my parents at dinner when I was 17. Okay, yeah, um, better. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that, I guess that's a good segue again into, uh, you know, I was at Hall of Flowers last week, and, you know, Hall of Flowers had every product you can think of that's out there right now. And it was really cool to get to walk the floor. And, you know, this is the only show that's truly a buyer's show where, you know, every single company's out there displaying their wares. You can actually purchase, um, you know, from uh, a lot of the companies. So as uh, consumers are going through, they can, you know, go out there and, and try and and purchase all sorts of different things from all these different companies. And there's probably, I don't know, 200 plus companies that were represented out there, uh, lines out the door of people purchasing. Um, You know, it it was, it's a place also where tons of business is done between the dispensaries themselves and the brands, a great way where, you know, sales reps don't necessarily have to go out there and knock on doors, but you know, the, 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 buyers from these dispensaries can actually go into your booth and say, okay, show me your entire product line. So it's a, it's a really, really different style um, industry uh, conference as comparison to like MJBiz or to a lot of the investor conferences. This one is truly like, you know, for the industry, by the industry, representing you know, what, what we're actually putting out there. So on the side of, you know, if you want to see what was happening with flour, you want to see what's happening with vapes, you want to see what's happening with, with edibles. Uh, it was as good a cross section of the California market as you, can, as you can find. And it's just a hell of a lot of fun. So, you know, hats off to the Hall of Flowers team for, for putting on a great event um you know i would like to see uh would like to see a little bit more participation by the public I, I think they need to get the word out a little bit better to get some more people in there
0: but in terms of industry um attendance it was really really well attended excellent um i know uh, that also we've been meaning for a while now to give a happy birthday shout out to billy kreutzman who turned 76 billy the kid young the young drummer billy the drummer i think they called him at the start right and <laughs> Curious today, you know one of the one of the the founding members still, you know, carrying the torch around. Have you heard anything about how he's doing these days physically? I
1: I haven't, but I haven't heard anything bad, so that's the uh, that's the more important thing. So you know, I think he's he's probably doing okay. the 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 health I've been watching most recently is uh, your your boy in Chicago, Jake Sinninger from Humphreys McGee, to see how see how Jake's doing. Uh, So you know, I, I sort of take it one musician at a time to see see how they're uh, they're hanging in
0: yeah no it's tough all the way around and you know these things happen and you know when you've devoted time and energy to a band it, it definitely makes it tough um but you know i mean i'm sure people were bummed at the end of the last tour last year when uh, uh when billy wasn't available to play and you know he wasn't gonna be able to make it down to playing in the sand and you know it, look let's face it if you're going to see dead and company you're going to see dead and company to see the guys from the grateful dead you know i mean yes it's nice to see Oteil and it's nice to see john and and all that but you know the, the selling point is is you got the two drummers and the you know the one of the lead guitar players up there doing it and um you know jay lane is an excellent drummer and when he fills in he you know he does a very very nice job and even though kreutzman is you know far from an extravagant drummer and you know and other than the fact that he always wears that baseball cap these days um you, you notice the sound when it's not him right when it, he's he's got his distinctive sound and when he's not up there it doesn't matter how good they are and what they do it's not Bill Kreutzmann, and you know that's that that's a real loss so hopefully Billy is better and can uh, uh, continue to play uh, into the future and speaking of other things uh, related to the Grateful Dead uh, that I wanted to get to last week our good buddy Dave Lemieux has dropped yet another of his Dave's picks this time number 42 uh, a February uh, late February show 1974 from Winterland uh, somewhere in the next couple of weeks when we have time, we will dive into that one and, uh, and, uh, give it a review, even though, uh, chronologically it 's kind of out of order with where we 're on the calendar right now, but uh, we like to get to these uh, these new releases when they come out but the little bit that i 've heard of it so far is just outstanding and um, uh, of course, also with it this time you get the uh, the dave 's bonus disc for two twenty twenty two which is uh, a couple of songs from the night before and apparently uh, the night after two hundred twenty four was an earlier Dave 's selection I want to say thirteen. Um, also from this set, so apparently uh, this is a run of shows that Dave likes very much, and I tend to trust his judgment on those things. So um, we will look, we will look forward to uh, to giving that a review shortly.
1: Nice. Well, should we skip back forward uh, seven years from uh, seventy four to eighty one and check out a bit more of uh, of this Cornell show? Um, Let's do it. So I know that you and I talked about this last one. I don't even know if we played a clip on, but we always discuss whether or not you know nobody's fault is nobody's fault or spoonful. And they play um, they play a pretty fun jam in, in this set where uh, you know they, they play a Spanish jam in the set and then later on play a nobody's fault jam but it definitely definitely has sort of you know the hint of spoonful as well and uh, you know hard to say which is which but uh, but it's it's very very clean as far as like a nobody's fault jam and again they, they weren't saying the lyrics to it. I don't think that started happening until I want to say 91 uh, but uh, but you know here's a 1981 uh, nobody's fault jam that I think Dave's, uh, Dan's got cute for us.
0: Well, I'm going to say nobody's fault, but only because I know because, you know, it's written in front of me, but I can easily see where if I was at the show and, uh, you know, caught up in the midst of all of it, um, it, it might be difficult to make the call. And that's, you know, not unlike certain tunes, you know, that, that come up and have a little bit similar sound to them. And, you know, you typically have to wait until either Jerry or Bobby walks up to the microphone or in this case, Jerry and... Uh, well, no, that would be Bobby on Spoonful, too. So, yeah, you know, but, you know, Nobody's Fault is a great tune. You know, we've talked about that uh, Kansas City show from September uh, 3rd, 1985 at the Starlight Theater that I happen to be at uh, where they played a, an amazing version of it. And uh, it, it's a great song. And, uh, you know, an old Blind Willie Johnson tune from the, you know, the late 1920s, uh, you know, made famous again by Led Zeppelin. Uh, in the mid 1970s on their presence album, which I always liked because it's that stupid shot of the nice couple having dinner with their family inside the yacht club or whatever. And I never really understood what that was all about, but it was a great album. And I remember listening to this tune on this album, but at the time, you know, not having the background on it to understand that it was, any I just figured it was another Led Zeppelin tune um but you know once you get to know what it's all about it's uh it's a great song and, and jerry really loved playing it so uh it's always nice to share any part of that uh with or without the lyrics so uh good selection on that and i guess we're at the point where we're probably running out of time here so uh maybe we'll just kind of in a second here skip to the final one we do uh, have a great show next week with uh, dave ellison of the scarlet fire dispensary uh coming on to join us and um we're excited for that. Uh, please tune in then. I think we're going to, for our music, rather than necessarily talking about any single show, Bob and Rob and I are going to sit there and throw in our uh, our favorite uh, versions of Scarlet Fire. And maybe Dave will be kind enough to hit us with one too. And we can sit there and go through that combination, which is certainly, uh, since it's inception in the uh, mid to late 1970s, the combination of those tunes uh, has, has risen to the top of most Deadhead's favorite uh Sawing combinations right up there with Help Slip Frank and uh, China Rider and some of the others. But Scarlet Fire kind of tends to stand out on its own. So um, I know we've got our work cut out for us on that one, Rob, just figuring out which ones we like.
1: We do. And then the following week for our listeners, we've got uh, Todd McCormick coming on, who's one of the best known you know, genetics guys in cannabis, uh, Todd McCormick Seeds. Uh, most people know him because he's kind of the person that they kept the flame alive for Jack Herrera. Um, you know, it's been in the space for years and years, big deadhead, and uh, lots of fun stories. I've had a chance to do a couple things with Todd in the past, and I'm super fired up that he wanted to come on the podcast. So I think we've got him in two weeks. So we've got the, we've got some good stuff uh, lined up, and um, uh, our buddy uh, David Gans just uh, introduced me to uh, Terry Haggerty yesterday, and so I think Terry's Terry's going to hopefully come on the show with us soon. So I've got to reach back out to him, but you know, shout out and say thank you to David Gans for making the connection and unsolicited, saying, hey, Rob, you know, this is a person that you should definitely try to get on your show. And so hopefully we can do that. And, uh, you know, we've got lots of other stuff coming up. So um, that's it for me for, for this week and always a, a good time. And that was thank you to Stacey Smith for coming on. And thank you for Stacy Smith for getting Dave Ellison for us next week. But, um, but you know, I really feel that we're getting some great guests right now, and it's making our lives that much easier, Larry, and that much more fun.
0: Absolutely, Rob. Couldn't agree with you more. Uh, we're going to go out with uh, Dan treating us to the lovely strains of the Grateful Dead playing Althea uh, from the show uh, in Barton Hall in May 1981. Um, as usual, it's a it's a killer version of Althea, as, as Garcia tends to do. And as we head out, I just want to shoot out a message to those uh, two kids who were sitting behind me. Uh, in um, Folsom Field a few years ago at Dead & Company. Uh, And as the Dead uh, Dead & Company started to play Althea and they were raving about it because they know it's John Mayer's favorite tune. And one of the guys finally said, I think he plays it better than Garcia. Dude, listen to this version right now and then reconsider that position. God love you. Thank you to all. Thanks to Stacey Smith and to Rob. Thanks to our producer, Dan Humiston. Uh, We will talk to you guys next week. Be good, stay safe, and enjoy your cannabis responsibly. About this and this,
2: and forgetting the love we bring.